Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is November 15, 2012, and this is episode 1021 of the Survival Podcast. And I got a special guest for you guys today, Brad and Mike from Full Spectrum Survival. They have a YouTube channel where they do a variety of different video work, including uh, you know, just straight-up instructional uh, videos. They also do real scenario videos that are more like mini-movies of actual scenarios uh, where they're behaving more like actors but in real situations. And then they do after-action reviews of those. They have a, a YouTube channel that's only been up for a few months, but it's become very popular already due to the quality of work that they're doing. They wanted to come on the air and share what they're doing with the TSP community. They're also long-term listeners to the show, so I was happy to have them on. Before we get to those guys, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, BulkAmmo.com. Hey, you're going to hear some about training with weapons today. You know what good your weapon is without ammo? Not much. You can pawn it or beat somebody with it, but you sure as hell can't put food on the table or defend your family effectively with it. Or any more effectively than you could with, let's say, a big, uh, heavy, and unwielding metal club. Because without ammo, that's what your gun is. It's a big, heavy, unwielding metal club. Or it's a barter tool or something you can sell or hawk. It doesn't do you any good as a weapon unless you can put ammunition in it. I remember one time uh, there was a guy I saw on a special that turned out he was a prepper now and he used to be a hippie. And the guy asked me, he said, I thought you guys used to put flowers in guns. He said, yeah. Then I grew up and figured out it made a lot more sense to put bullets in guns. Now, if you need ammo, where are you going to do it? You're going to go to BulkAmmo.com. You're going to get all the common calibers at great pricing in bulk, which is why it's called BulkAmmo.com. And uh, you're going to get lightning-fast service and shipping. Check them out today at BulkAmmo.com. Next up today, Safe Castle Royal, who I refer to as the original Survival Podcast sponsor. Now, why do I call them the original sponsor? They were the first ones. They stood up right in the beginning and said, hey, we know what you're doing is going to be successful. We want to be part of it. Let us in. And I'm like, I don't even have a way to do that yet because it wasn't commercial at all at the time. Well, eventually we built the entire sponsorship program and the vetting process around accepting our first sponsor, Safe Castle Royal. That was close to four years ago, and they're still here. That tells you something about their loyalty to the community and to the Survival Podcast as a whole. They also offer one of the best member, member benefits in our entire MSB. They have their Discount Buyers Club. It sells for $49 for a lifetime membership to their Discount Club. You get that for free the day you join the MSB. If it's one of the benefits you want, all you got to do is send an email and you'll get it. And I'll tell you what, that pays for all but $1 of your first year of Member Support Brigade. Great sponsor. All the stuff you can think of for your prepping needs. Take them, check them out today. Uh, at safe, uh, uh, the best way to remember the website is actually prepared.pro, prepared.pro. And you can find uh, Safe Castle Royal, bulkammo.com, and all of our sponsors at the survivalpodcast.com. Look for their banners in the right hand margin. That way you know you're dealing with the actual company that carries our personal endorsement. Next up, remember the gear shop is back. Cool stuff. TSPgear.com. Copper shop has all kinds of cool copper in it. TSPcopper.com. Those are two great websites to uh, pick up some cool stuff for Christmas, which is just around the corner. Last but not least, do consider joining the member support brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content. Available only to members, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, uh, and first responders like paramedics, active duty, or prior service. Please email me at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com before you join. Put service discount on the subject line. 
and let me know who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did if your prior service, and I'll give you a special discount and thank you for uh, your service to our nation or the world abroad, depending on how you served. Uh, with that wrapped up, I do want to, at this time, welcome to the show Brad and Mike from Full Spectrum Survival. Again, they have an awesome YouTube channel. Uh, a couple really great guys and long-term listeners to the Survival Podcast. They're very familiar with our community. And with that, hey, Brad, Mike, welcome to the Survival Podcast, guys. Oh, thank you very much for having us, Jack. Glad to be here. Hey, for folks that don't know about you guys, you have a pretty interesting YouTube channel. Give people just the, uh, I don't know, the 60-second the, the elevator synopsis of what you guys are doing. Because I know you guys have a big announcement, and I want to get to that right up front. But I want people, the people that don't know who you are, I want them to know who you guys are first. Well, Full Spectrum Survival is our YouTube channel, and what we try to do with it is bridge the gap between wilderness survival and preparedness, because whenever we would do our uh, training together, we would find that some people lack in one area and really excel in another. So we want to bring those two together so people can go out in the middle of the woods and be able to survive the night or do it in, their, in the city in their home. Are you guys, you've got to take in like a reality version of that. It's not just a how-to. It's you put yourself in actual scenarios as though you're actors, right? Uh, yeah, in some cases, some, this is Michael speaking, the videos are somewhat split. In some cases, they're your standard uh, click-and-shoot uh, tutorials. And in other cases, uh, they reflect uh, a scenario exercise that, that was put together uh, that we walked through. And we try to add... Uh, entertainment to that as well by doing uh, some filming in that process and, and then afterwards putting together an after action review and go over some of the points of consideration for uh, accomplishing the exercise. Yeah, you know, Mike, that was something I really liked about it. I watched one of your kind of little things. It was like a little mini reality show type thing. But then after you were done with it, you guys got together and explained the the concepts behind it, kind of like a, a like an after the shoot type thing, and I thought that really added depth to it, and really added some things that maybe would have been missed by the average observer if they only watched it for entertainment purposes. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been an adventure, that's for sure. You know, we have been training like that for for a long time, and it's 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 a lot of fun. Adding the camera to that was a whole new experience. Yeah, I bet it was. But the camera has led to something. And you guys do have a really big announcement. You guys were like, when you first got set up with an interview with me, we're like, we have something big, but we don't know if we'll be able to talk about it. We can't tell you what it is yet. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> we'll find out, you know. But you guys have got the green light now, so do you guys want to go ahead and, and make the big announcement that you have for everybody out there listening today? Yeah, I really appreciate it. That was a, was a great way to, to talk about what we've been working on behind the scenes. Uh, we were approached by... Uh, some peers of ours in, in the video world and by some private investors that were interested in seeing a narrative about preparedness that could enrich people's lives more than just your standard informational uh, uh, documentary type of format. And they had seen or run into our videos in the scenarios that we were just talking about and asked us if it was possible to create a, a narrative in a feature film format. And uh, we did some research, and there was a lot of negotiation, because for us, we want to keep as much information as possible uh, freely given over the Internet in the spirit, the same spirit that our YouTube channel was put up in. And uh, they finally agreed 
to do that, and that that really is what made the decision for us to go ahead and, and start production. So this is going to be on YouTube. What what can you give us kind of an outline of what this is going to be like? I mean, we obviously can't have spoilers or whatever, but what's what is the kind of the meat and bones version of, of what you guys exactly are going to be doing with this uh, this movie? You know, we had we had looked at uh, you know there's a lot of different scenarios that I think that people such as ourselves in, in the preparedness world. Uh, Think about in terms of what what should I be ready for for my family for myself what type of experiences uh, could I expect uh, with you know everywhere from a hurricane uh, you know to a financial collapse so we're interested in taking all of those possibilities and we think if we do globally experience you know a collapse, a collapse yeah. that you will actually see a little bit of everyone's. Uh, ideas of what it would be like materialize in their reality. So we're going to approach the film uh, from a grid-down uh, situation forward to show, from a narrative perspective, what is actually happening in the thought process, the velocity of events, uh, some of the challenges early on in the in the experience that you would have to master quickly in order to improve your chances of survival. And, and we're going to wrap that up and make sure that we give the the viewer the most relevant, life-saving, cutting-edge information possible. And to do that, uh, we've enlisted a team of combat veterans, a team of, of international consultants, uh, a couple of which who have lived through collapses in, in different environments. And they are feeding information to us and to the writers as a group in order to form this picture of what really happens and how people have survived it. Well, that makes perfect sense. Big question would be when. Uh, well, I'm understanding that no battle plan survives enemy contact uh, and things get changed. Right now, uh, one of you guys slated to have this thing released. You know, the Prepper movie is slated to be released in the fall of 2013. We've heard the outcry, though, so far in the announcement uh, to put together material that can be relevant and used faster because of the global situation I think we all know we live in. So we're working hard to find ways to do that. Um, we're talking about uh, utilizing a Kickstarter campaign where we can actually go out and, and look at what additional uh, means can we use from the funding perspective uh, to add to the quality of the movie and the speed at which we can shoot it. I think that brings up a great point that, and this is Brad, when, when we were approached, um, like Mike said, we had those keys that we had to have fulfilled to be part of the production. And one of those was that the movie itself would be given freely on YouTube. And the other one was that it would give real material. And so when the writers came to us and we sat down with them, they said to us, every movie has a way out of the predicament of the, uh, that the actors get into, but a lot of the times it's one guy versus 50 or five guys versus an army, and that just isn't real. So that's what we want to do with the Prepper movie is give that realism of what you can do and what every person that views it can do in different environments. And then after the movie, in the uh, post-movie reviews, we'll go over really the instructionals on how to do those things. Yeah, because real life is is not such that you always do have an out. The the hero doesn't always win. The the good guy doesn't always ride away in the sun, and and the and the, and the the guy in the white hat doesn't always get the girl. You're absolutely right. It it really is about increasing 
the odds of your survivability. And I know there's a famous quote that says the chance favors the paired mind. And we believe that to be absolutely correct. And the more that you can expose yourself, and that includes us as well, to the information that's out there through through individuals' personal experience, we're going to reflect that in the narratives and and bring those experiences into people's homes so they can contemplate them and and hopefully, God forbid, something happens where they have to utilize uh, a skill sets that 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 they can work on after viewing in the movie or a decision plan that they can they can learn from. And I know there's a lot of great action plans out there that people discuss, especially on 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 your show. Being able to, to implement them quickly and effectively definitely will increase their uh, their odds of survival. And, and above all, it's going to be brought out in an entertaining way. The movie's going to be 30 minutes long, and people are really going to be able to get in the world of what's going on, enjoy what's going on with the, um, with the entertainment aspect, and learn something that they can take home afterwards. Yeah, you know, I saw the announcement come out, and it was like the one thing I see people really kind of clamoring at you guys about. How the heck are you going to fit all of that into 30 minutes? Well, that's we're, we're approaching that two ways. One is, like Mike said, we're looking at some different avenues to be able to stretch that out into an hour or an hour and a half long film. But the other one is that only the movie itself is going to be 30 minutes. And in the production, the uh, groups have said that we'll actually film probably 45 minutes to an hour's worth, and then in the editing room, they'll cut it down to... So there might be, like, some outtakes available or what have you. Right. Exactly. But afterwards, that's where the of information is going to come in with the post-movie review and instructional. So right. it's going to be over two hours, and it could be four hours. It could just keep going. Right. And we'll have that downloadable and on DVD. Okay, that's very cool. And I, I think that's one thing I wanted to make sure people know is from what I've seen, the plan is, yes, this is all going to be free on YouTube, but you'll be able to support the effort by purchasing it on DVD and then have the flexibility that comes with actually owning a copy of it. That, that's correct. And on download, because we know that that's important to the community. Right. That Absolutely. I think it'll be a great way for people to share the concept of prepping without telling them to watch Doomsday Preppers. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> or Doomsday Bunkers or Doomsday fill-in-the-blank, whatever. Because they, they, these guys are such geniuses in the mainstream media, they they tend to come up with one whole word on their own when they come up with the name of a show. They they just take the existing one, Doomsday, and they'll just add something to it. I know they're working on Doomsday singles now. Oh, I actually got a casting call, and they said, well, you put this out to your audience. And my response was, probably not the way you would want me to, right. but sure. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, you, you, you touched on a, on a very key point, and that is, Brad and I take the perspective that we are producing content for our peers. Um, I think the major networks create content for mass viewership, and we make the assumption that people such as yourself, Jax, and other, other people in, in alternative media really go out there and they start to bring down that veil of, of, of the illusion that exists, that you're safe and that there's somebody going to come and help you. Um, Brad and I's position is, is our content is peer-driven. We're looking to enhance uh, our peers in the, in the marketplace with additional information to return what has been shared with us. Because we view uh, preparedness, survival, wilderness skills as a never-ending learning experience. And whether it's something we're seeing on a video on, on, on your format there, 
at Survival Podcast or on YouTube, we're, or it's written material, we're taking that out and we're testing it for ourselves and seeing, does this, does this process work for us? Does it work in our environment? Um, can we get it to work differently, quicker, uh, uh, to enhance the, 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 the value of the skill or, or the trait, or the trait, uh, that, uh, that it would demonstrate to us, you know, what kind of problems is it going to solve for us in, in, in our wilderness lifestyle? And, and that's really the, the same enthusiasm and dedication in our own skill sets that we're trying to develop off camera that we're going to bring and share to our peer group in the community. Let me ask you guys a question. We've been talking about your YouTube channel, your pending video and all, but you guys aren't just like a bunch of guys who got together one day and found a camera and went, what the heck do we do with this thing? Oh, I don't know. Why don't we make a, a, a series about prepping? Uh, you guys actually have been doing this for a hell of a lot longer than you've been making videos about it. Um, what got you guys started into emergency preparedness in the first place? Well, we were asked by some of our peers who... You know, there's a big meme going around that's that you soak it all in from the Internet, but you never show who you are or what you do or what you, you know, you never share what you have with the rest of the community. And we were asked by a couple of our peers to go out and make a YouTube channel and start giving back and to, uh, you know, to know that you're already out there. And it's good to uh, it's good to give back and it's good to help share what we've been given with the rest of the community. Right. And how... How we got there, this is Michael speaking, we actually, as brothers, took two pretty different paths to get to the same place. Um, I went into the military at a young age. Uh, I was a combat engineer. And my brother took the more camping, wilderness, survival route. Uh, and we didn't actually speak for a couple of years. Yeah, we didn't, right, because of our age gap. We're, we're about 13 years apart. So, uh, you know, people get married and have children and go different different ways. And uh, we got back together probably about 15 years ago and really started to hang out in the woods, uh, pursuing different skill sets, um, you know, performing different exercises, trying to better ourselves. It's been always been a kind of competition. We don't really reflect that on camera. Um, who's faster? Who's Who's a better shot? Who can start the bow drill fire faster? You get two guys together doing this stuff, they're going to compete with each other. You get two brothers together, we're really going to do it. Yeah, and we might end up rolling on the ground, hitting each other afterwards. Right. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't show that on camera either. But we have a great time, and that's uh, it, it. It is really our lifestyle. We chose about a decade ago to live at the retreat full time. Uh, we were blessed. Uh, our grandfather uh, really imposed upon upon me to invest in real estate um, as, one of, as one of the first investments, and it really worked out for us. Uh, he was a, a, just a, a great influence, as well as our father was in both of our lives. Uh, he was a construction worker who believed that uh, with a roll of duct tape, um, a hammer, and some nails, there wasn't anything he couldn't fix, and uh, he, he was pretty right on with that. And our father was kind of a closet 1970s survivalist. He had silver tucked away, and he didn't really talk about it much, but, uh, you know, as, as his children, we, of course, saw his views, and, and they influenced us greatly. So um, without getting, you know, GPS coordinates or anything about your location, how remote are you guys? We're pretty remote. We're pretty about remote. Because my next question for you, then, is your YouTube content producers. So what are you guys doing for Internet? Because that's a question we always get with anybody that's really remote. 
Oh, for oh, we are a satellite. And right. you're doing your uploads over satellite? Uh, sometimes we go to town. Uh, okay. No, we don't upload back at our tree location. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, no. okay. We, yeah, we have a business uh, in the city that we commute to. So okay. uh, we, we do most of our Internet interaction. Uh, our nearest neighbor is probably about a mile away. So you're in my kind of boat where I have an office and I have to to be able to produce content because um, when I called the phone company to see if I could get DSL, they laughed at me. Literally. Yeah, yeah we're, in the same, we're in the same position, yeah, maybe in 50 years. They said that when I could get a phone, then we could talk about that. That's right. <laughs> you, know, you know, we enjoy, you know, we enjoy homesteading. Um, you know, we grow a, a large garden. We have chickens and goats, and I mean, that's a lot of work. Uh, I, I don't know if you if you live out in that type of area where you where you can practice homesteading, but that, that sucks up a lot of time, just the responsibilities of those things. Absolutely. We, we do a ton with gardening and permaculture. We're actually looking to buy a new piece of property, and we're going to up the livestock components considerably when we do. Um, but that's, uh, that's part of one of the big challenges that people have out there today as they're looking to be more self-sufficient and self-reliant. And people are having to go further and for- further with remoteness or spend lots and lots of money to get a big enough piece of land if they're not real remote to get away from people, preventing them from, you know, we've heard all kinds of stories of people having front yard gardens destroyed by townships, and that's just a garden. You start bringing some goats and chickens and pigs into the equation, and there's a lot of struggle with people out there right now trying to move back to this kind of homesteading back to the land movement and the conflict it's creating. And in many cases, some level of remoteness is the only real solution right now. Yeah, you're, you're very right there, and Brad and I have discussed exactly what you just said. Uh, and even talked about uh, producing a video on the topic is that if, if you do live, we feel if you do live in the city, uh, not depending on what, of course, your, your municipality laws are and, 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 and whatnot, uh, it would be a very good idea to have uh, whatever type of livestock that you could have. So if they were pet rabbits, and I know a lot of cities and municipalities allow, if they're named, the animals to be pets. If you if people who who can't afford to or don't have the means to move out of the city uh, because of of just life's responsibilities to have some ability to produce food is a key component. Um, it, it, we have friends in the city if they showed up at our doorstep because uh, of a financial difficulty or whatever and they had a minimum you know two uh, proven breeder uh, does and a buck rabbit um, they're coming with a lot more than uh, than just a knock. And uh, we think that's a great idea for people that live in the city to at least explore those areas or, and have a good amount of seeds put away, uh, have some firsthand knowledge of how to plant them and, and get the crop to yield. So that, that's a very important point. Yeah, uh, I just had a guy comment on, the, comment on the blog, and we're getting him set up for an interview. We're so full on schedule, we won't have him until January. But he's doing quail, and he's in a suburban environment, and he's doing them in his garage. And his neighbors have no idea uh, that they're even there. And, you know, you're thinking, well, maybe this guy can do, you know, a a few quail or something like that, you know, a couple cages. This guy's producing, like, hundreds and hundreds of meat animals a year. Uh, And he's producing thousands of eggs. And he's got, again, in a garage. Yeah, that's just that they're such, they're so good, they're so prolific and they gain rate to, uh, weight to maturity so rapidly, and since they don't make any noise, 
you know, he's in suburban hell as far as I'm concerned, and his neighbors don't know here nor there. They just know he doesn't park his car in his garage. Right. Yeah, you have to commend him. I mean, being able, you know, it's very important to be able to produce, prove, to be able to produce your own food and prove that you can produce it. Because I'm sure it, you have gardening experience. We, we saw your last show on permaculture. We know it's a big difference uh, to have a box of seeds and then to have a skill to take those box of seeds, put them in the ground and get them to yield a decent rate. There's skill there. And yep. it, it just doesn't come automatically. So, you know, we tell everyone, if you live in uh, in the city, you know, in the suburban area, you need to, to go into your backyard or somewhere and develop these skills. Yeah, I just found the comment real quick, and it's just a great opportunity to share this on the air. So I want to share this with you guys as well, just because it's a great idea of what's possible. We were t- I was talking about rabbits during the episode. He said, uh, I do have one thing to add about suburban protein production. Well, I do have rabbits, and they're great producers. They are not my most productive livestock in terms of pounds per year. In my system, Contrex quail beat out rabbits 3 to 1 pounds per year. All things being equal, I'm currently producing 3.5 pounds per year uh, per cubic foot uh, of space for rabbit meat compared to 10.5 pounds per cubic foot of space to quail meat. That does not include the 20,000 eggs a year the quail produce as a bonus, combined with roughly 1,200 pounds of meat in a 26-square-foot, one-car garage. System is racked nine feet vertical, so it's technically taking up 234 square feet. Now, that's impressive. I, I'm, that's why I was like immediately like, dude, you got to get on the show, man. we got to no get out here. <laughs> no doubt. That's, that's impressive. That's not to sideline what we were talking about. I just when you brought that up, it just because we've had a lot of discussions lately about how do you do this covertly, you know, and not covertly to hide it really, but just to hide it from the people that that bitch and complain and get you shut down. Right. Yeah. It, I, we don't view it any different than someone who has to, you know, to take care of a dog who barks all the time. You, you have to do it, otherwise you're going to be fined by the city. So if you need to experiment with growing things in your backyard or producing something on a scale that that you don't have problems with, uh, you know, from a from a hygienic standpoint, we're all for it. You know, you guys talk a lot about homesteading here and all, but you also are really big on, you know, surviving off the land, wilderness survival techniques. Uh, that's a lot of times that's an overlooked thing in preparedness, especially today. Why do you guys think that's so important? Well, you know, and and at least the way we envision uh, potential situations, you. How could you really store enough? We feel that you know to fill a bunch of to fill your barns full of goods, and then God forbid you have a fire. And since we live in Florida, you have a hurricane. And if you don't have the skills uh, to replicate those stores, you could find yourself in trouble very easily. So we believe in 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 a good amount of preparation three three months at a minimum, a year uh, is better to be prepared to be able to feed your family and have all the implements uh, of your sustainment. Uh, but at the same time, knowing that you have, you do not have ultimate control over events or mother nature, it's best to have the skill set because as long as you're alive and you're breathing and you're mobile, you can deploy those skills and be able to prepare for tomorrow. And, and that's why it is so important to us because if you can't start a fire, uh, effectively in in a number of conditions, then your survivability outside of your home or apartment or car it, it is is dramatically decreased. And and for us, it's all about survivability. And, and you know, Mike, that brings up a great point, Jack. As we were interviewing some uh, 
some international people who have went through collapses in their own societies for the Prepper movie. We found that most people, and it's horrible to say this, but most people died because they couldn't start a fire to purify their water and to cook their food. Right, from waterborne illnesses quickly. So oh, There's no doubt about that. If you look at any major relief effort, like let's look at the Haitian earthquake recently, the biggest killer is diarrhea, which right. is actually killing people through dehydration. But the biggest cause of the diarrhea is contaminated water. It's the, the dehydration due to diarrhea is the number one killer in the world right now. More than cancer, more than heart disease. Every time there's a disaster, uh, if you're not squished, that's probably the best way you're likely to go thereafter. That's right. And that and and it's and it, it it's not a sexy skill set. Water color, water collection and purification is not is not. Uh, a popular topic, but as you just stated, it should be all of our number one topic besides security so you can, you know, safeguard the water you do have to keep yourself hydrated and alive. And, you know, be, uh, being brothers and living on the retreat, we have the opportunity, whereas in the rainy season, if we get three days of rain, I can say, hey, Mike, okay, go out in the woods and start a fire with, that, with nothing else except what you have there. So he's got to go out find the bark, you know, get the tinder, get some dry twigs, make the bow drill, do all that. And it really is hard if you don't have your, uh, you know, your charcoal and lighter nearby. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, what I've always tried to explain to people is that there's just a natural bridge there. Because if you go to any decent wilderness survival course, they're going to teach you your five survival needs are food, water, shelter, uh, fire, uh, and... Um, what am I missing? <laughs> Food, water, shelter, Cut. fire, and security. Okay? Right? And then I'll add to that health and sanitation. Right? Okay. So then all i got to do if I want to make this fit the urban model is change fire into energy because fire is an energy source. Correct. So those six needs exist. And, you know, sanitation is a little less critical when you're on a 1,000 acres of, of forest because there's room for a couple people to you know, just basically make do. Right. Uh, but when you start concentrating populations, that health and sanitation six tenant becomes really uh, a critical thing that leads to other things like dysentery and disease. So if we are a good wilderness survivalist, we should be able to translate those skills into suburban, urban environments. But if we're only a good urban, suburban survivalist, we can't necessarily translate all the skills back out. So to me, it's a very good foundation because it's like teaching somebody to drive a stick shift before you do an automatic. Because yeah, then they can drive anything. Well, you are absolutely correct in that. And I think some of the implements, uh, some of the gear or tools that become extensions of yourself are just as important uh, in an urban environment as they are in a wilderness environment. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, in some ways, it can actually be a lot easier in an urban environment because I can fabricate cordage. I'm sure you can, too. But, boy, it takes a long time. Right. Uh, well, I but I could probably improvise cordage. If I could find an outhouse or, a, 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 you know, a, any kind of shed or anything, any kind of human activity at all, there's probably something I can improvise for cordage. But i got to know what to do with it once I have it. Absolutely. I think for our struggle... Our definitely an urban struggle versus a wilderness struggle. They're definitely different. Um, obviously, security is a, a major, major uh, urban consideration, where in the wilderness, you have a lot of things that, uh, that 
tend to lean towards your advantage. You have terrain, uh, you have, you know, a low population density, which contributes to lower security considerations, you know, outside of a collapse, of course. But from an urban standpoint uh, in preparedness, uh, security has got to be, you know, a, a huge consideration, at least the way we view it. No, I completely agree. In general, disasters are acute and immediate. That's not always the case, but most of them are. The actual occurrence is a pretty much, it happens, and if you don't get crushed by the building or burned by the fire, you get through it, it's not the disaster that's really the problem. It's the lack of resources, and the bigger problem is the people. Right. People are the biggest problem, and specifically the less prepared they are and the more scared they are, and the less hope they have, the bigger the threat they become. If you've got a bunch of people that are hungry, but they absolutely know within 48 hours food's getting delivered, the lid stays on. If they think food might never come, they go flipping crazy. Oh, that's for sure. And, you know, we keep, we keep uh, being shown examples uh, by hurricanes or other disasters where we're just surprised that more people don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that the, the, the careful balance, though, and I think from what I've seen of your work, that people do need to understand is the likelihood that there'll be absolutely no commerce, absolutely no trade, uh, absolutely no sense of order anywhere at all forever is a lot more unlikely. You keep talking about international people. I had Selco uh, on who's a Balkan war survivor. And even in the middle of that, you walk down the main street of town, you were sniper fodder, but there were still places where people could barter and work collectively with each other, and you could still procure something as long as you had something to give in return. Well, we, you know, we envision, you know, obviously some level of restoration, which I think we've seen, unless we, unless we all together, unfortunately, experience a, a collapse that's global in nature and it overcomes, you know, all sense of, of the reality as we've known it today. We always envision a restoration to a level of commerce uh, because I think throughout human history, you see that repeated time and time again. Uh, now, how long that restoration process is or takes, I think, depends upon the scale and depth of the catastrophe. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think what a lot of people, like, when I talk about potential scenarios, a lot of times I say, you know, it's really possible that we might have a scenario that's like a really bad version of the Great Depression. And there'll be food. It'll cost twice as much and only half of what was normally available will be available. And people think that that would be... Oh, that's not bad enough. That wouldn't be that big. I mean, people have no idea how severe right. that would be. But when you start looking at things like being prepared to last a year, if you can procure 25% of what you need, you have enough to last a year without it, and you can produce or, uh, or, or scavenge or uh, forage for another 25%, what you're actually looking at seems like a year and a half, but it's not. It actually gives you two years of longevity. I won't go into the math of how it all works out, but that's what it does for you because as you're, you're pulling in more than you need, you're actually continuing to store and build up. And I think that people need to have that mindset that it's not just about all or nothing, that there's a lot of scenarios that could result in partial unavailability, partial collapse, partial grid down failure instead of without rule of law, pockets of without rule of law for different durations. And it don't matter if it's road warrior for 10 years or without rule of law for five seconds if you're the one that catches a bullet in the head. That's where you couldn't have stated that any clearer. And we, our, our 
our thought process on that very topic is we feel that we've crossed the threshold. And now the only two questions remain are the timing and the scale of an event. Yeah, I, I agree. There is an economic collapse coming. Uh, it's going to happen. There is no way around it. It's a matter of what type of spin the authorities and what type of control the authorities will maintain when they do it. I don't see it as a road warrior scenario, but I sure as hell don't see it as a day at Disneyland either. Yeah. And only time is going to tell us how bad it's really going to be and how it will affect different groups of people. Um, as an economist, when I look at it, what I see is a currency revaluation. Uh, I see that being done on a global level, and I actually see some people thinking it's going to be a great thing when it first happens and, and being really, really disappointed when they find out what it really means. Mm. And I think the if you want to know the future of the United States and the streets of our major cities, um, look at Greece, look at Spain, look at Portugal, and then you decide what X factor you want to add to it uh, as far as making it worse, because it will be worse. And if it's twice as bad, three times as bad, whatever, it's not good. And it could be much bigger than that because we have um, a propensity for violence in this country that I think exceeds most other nations, at least developed nations. Uh, we have an armed society, which is great on one end of the sword, but then it has the sword cuts both ways. And we have an entitlement society today that is really going to flip out when they're told, yeah, you know all that free stuff, you don't just not get it anymore, it's gone. Um, and and it's, a, it's a powder keg. It's just a matter of how big and where the flashes go when it goes off. Yeah, it, it really is the, you know, the scale of the event and the timing of the event. We, we prepare for, in our, in, our, in our thought process, that if, if there is a financial reset, which we think might mathematically it has to come to that because the math doesn't work anymore, that that could very well trigger a number of other issues that people are unprepared for. And that would be our worst case scenario where the enemies of our country and of our culture decide at that time during the reset process that, that they view that as an opportunity and then we experience near simultaneous multiple events, which in some ways we feel, you know, from the material that we viewed, that that is really what was they were trying to prevent in 08 was this great opportunity for all of all of our country's enemies to to make their stand at, simultaneously at one time. So, you know, we know there are a lot of problems that exist uh, with all the things that you mentioned, from some cultural issues, uh, some platforms that are just unsustainable as it relates to you know they're socialistic in nature and it's. At the end of the day, it's very difficult to sustain them on a long term. And, of course, you know, our country's taking and very others, Western countries have taken. But that's, that's probably what the biggest threat profile that we can view is, is during that financial reset or collapse that, that we experience what, you know, if, we, if you watch Doomsday Preppers, you have people preparing for, you know, some prepare for a nuclear event, some from a biological event, some from a, uh, for a chemical event. And... Our worst nightmare, I should say, would be that that happens in rapid successions to a, to a major event. Now, to be fair to the people that are featured on Doomsday Preppers, I know for a fact, let's say you guys were going to be on the show and you just told the producer that, they'd say, that's great, guys. But guess what? You're preparing for fill in the blank. They'll t that's, that's why those people do that. They're told, well, this is what you're preparing for. But no, no, I'm really not saying, yeah, but that's what you're doing if you want to be on the show. 
Right, right. Because well, they're trying to create that that shtick that they want to put along with it. But my answer to that has always been that people say to me, you know, especially when they find out what I do for a living, well, what are you preparing for? I'm preparing to deal without systems of support. That is the total answer to what I'm preparing for. Because it doesn't matter why the systems of support are gone. It's the fact that they're gone. So it's a universal way of looking at emergency, disaster, long-term grid down, doesn't matter what it is. That you're, you need to be prepared to provide your, your own needs, your own security, your own housing, your own shelter, your own food, your own water, your own health and sanitation. And if you do that, it, you know, there's things that can make it worse than, than other things. But in the end, you're prepared as best you can be for whatever happens. And then we all have to have a little bit of fatalist in us. Either one of us could be in a car driving somewhere tomorrow and get hit by a gravel hauler, and then it's game over. That's right. That's absolutely well articulated. So you guys actually do a lot of training. Like the videos are like snapshots of your training. And as a guy does video work, I know you don't you don't video everything you do because it makes doing something that's relatively easy and fast a lot more complicated. People have no idea that you could do something in 15 minutes that takes you two hours to video. Yeah, so you guys are running different scenarios. You're tabletopping scenarios, and you're doing that with like a group. So how does that work for you guys? Well, what we'll do is, we'll, and this is Brad, we have a scenario leader who will bring the scenario to the group and they'll take an inventory of all our everybody's goods, everybody's abilities, and draw a rough sketch of what the scenario leader thinks that those people are capable of within the group. Then he'll provide us with the event that happens and our group is broken down by structure of a group leader and everyone knows their place, everyone knows their chores and abilities. So the scenario leader will provide the group leader with what happens. Everyone will then be given a chance to react to what happens, and we'll tabletop the different events based on those reactions. Um, we take that a step further after we've tabletop them to actually get out in the field and try those things out. Like uh, there was one where, where me in the scenario, I got kidnapped, and Mike had to go out and actually try to find tracks of where I was, where I was taken. Was it combat boot tracks? Were they sneakers who got me? They're breakout exercises of the scenario. And uh, then we take that another step further and bring it back after that's all done into a cinematic form with the videos that everybody sees on YouTube where we take the 48 hours that we've spent in the scenario and in the breakout exercises and put it into, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes on a YouTube video. And I want to add something to that. We normally, normally what's added in are, are your decision-making capabilities based upon the knowledge that you have of the exercise and the pressure is time. There are time allotments for different portions of the breakout exercises. And from, from, a, from a training perspective, you can accomplish similar objectives if you take a timer outside in the pouring rain and you change a car tire that's not flat in your driveway. Because what you're doing from a mental perspective is you are compartmentalizing the difficulties in achieving a task under duress. And that that process, now you have to deal with, you know, in the military, of course, after the exercise of the mission's over, you, you have to deal with a lot of bad stuff that happened because, you know, you did have to compartmentalize what you were doing while a lot of other bad stuff is going, around, going on around you. 
but it gives you the ability to prove out that you can focus and work under pressure and achieve a specific task or mission. And, and in, in survival, as you know, and in preparedness, it's very, very important that you can compartmentalize the process of which you have to achieve. And that could be a speed reload for people who are into action shooting. Uh, it could also be uh, the ability to, uh, to perform a friction fire uh, or some other task to light a fighter under terrible conditions uh, if you've just fallen into a frozen lake. It, it gives you that ability to have the strength that you can know you can perform under, under stress. Yeah, absolutely. And your scenarios there are making me think of like my military training. And I remember one exercise we were on. We got out to the field and we had, you know, basically referees that oversaw the exercise and they had stuff on them like red and yellow cards. A yellow card was you were a casualty. A red card was you were dead. So as right. soon as we got everybody assembled, the first thing they did was walk up to the CO and killed him. Right. So right. then he used every cuss word you ever heard and they told him, sir, you got to leave your dead. And the XO assumed command. They immediately killed him. So, yeah, so the commander were gone right from the get-go, and that left, you know, company-level commanders, this is a battalion exercise, to come up and, and, and figure out even what the, there was even some question about exactly who was in charge for a half a second. And then as we were doing our exercises, if there was a squad doing an operation, and it became clear that one member of that squad was a critical skill set member, they'd walk up and either casualty or kill him. No, and they forced that leadership up. It It really... And, and you're in the military, so you know. They, they started out really quick. I mean, you're, you're under time to get a task yeah. done that can be as simple as, as polishing your boots in an allotted amount of time to a certain level of perfection. And so they start the compartmentalization process very early when you enter into, into the military. And that's something that, that does give people an edge in performing an exercise or, or a mission or a critical life-saving skill is that ability. And, and we really we want to share that with, with the community at large and say there are a lot of simple things that you can do. And, and you can learn from changing a tire. It, you know, I'm a, I wear glasses, unfortunately. And to change a tire in pouring rain under time, you do that once and you realize you better always have a hat in the car. Absolutely. So you can keep the water off your glasses to see what you're doing. So you start learning, and, and, and it feels real good to be able to know that, listen, you know, I, I, can, I can fire a rifle effectively with my brother, who I want to hit, yelling in my ear as loud as he can and smacking my back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, like, one of the things you learn in the military from that type of experience is the first time they tell you, and you have 15 seconds to do it. You're an 18-year-old kid, and you're thinking, there ain't no way in hell this can be done in, in 15 seconds, much less be done by 60 people you know, in, in, in 15 seconds so that you know, if one guy fails, we're all in trouble. And a week later, it's a joke. It's like this was always easy to do. Right. And it, it starts to change your mind behind what's possible and what's not possible. It's like as a company owner, it's one of the reasons I always would hire a veteran over a non-veteran. Because if I give that guy something to do, he's going to figure out how to get it done. And I'm not saying non-veterans won't, but I know the veteran comes with that. Right. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I know that he's already been through that. And he also won't cry if I yell at him. Right. They, 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 yeah. But, you know, we we feel it's part of our part of our mission is to teach people that they those skill sets. You, you don't 
have to join the military to Correct. develop that focus. You you can perform simple tasks. You can put yourself. It, it, it's really the discipline to do it. I mean, who wants to go change a tire in the rain? Nobody. Yeah. Uh, but, and, but Especially when you don't need to. That's yeah, right. It's raining, honey. I think I'll go out and 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 change. You know, flip the front and back tires and do it. I might as well do four and do a tire rotation in the rain. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that that might not be the best example, but that's one that you know it, it surely will take you out of your comfort level of your living room to uh, you know to start. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, a, it's a great example of something that anybody can do. Um, and you know, it's also a great example of a skill a lot of people don't have anymore. A lot of people don't know how to change a tire. Oh, you're you know, absolutely I think right. if you if you're a father and you've got a 16 year old girl and she's getting her license, you need to change her, teach her how to change tire. Oh, we agree with you wholeheartedly. You know <laughs> how to check your oil, how to put. I mean, those kind of skills. I think that that avoid turning something that's a mundane inconvenience into an emergency in the first place is something that's lacking in America today. That's for sure. And if she's a 16 year old daughter, how to shoot a gun. Yeah, real. <laughs> make her good too. That's I mean, right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I remember some girl I saw one time wearing a T-shirt that said something. Don't worry about my daddy's gun. Worry about mine. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an important skill set that's lost in the youth. You know, that's uh, that we have to work on as a community to rebuild. Boy, they can call, play Call of Duty out the butt, but don't hand them a 1911 and ask them how it works. Right. Unless yeah. you're on the wrong side of Chicago, where they're not allowed to have guns, so then they know how they work perfectly. Yeah, very true. <laughs> so, um. You're, you guys have your YouTube channel. You've, you've got all this stuff coming up. Are you guys going to keep making your, let's say, your independent movies while you're doing or leading up to doing this movie, or has that become like your full-time gig on the video side now? No, we, we're we going to take advantage of the opportunity because we think we can give back to the community and help help produce something great, or at least give a large quantity of effort to achieve that goal for the prepper movie. But... For Brad and, our, Brad and myself, personal motivations and intention are to continue to produce quality content on YouTube, to continue to share our successes and our failures and some of our techniques that have worked for us. And, and some of the material that we produce is not, it really isn't relative uh, for the whole United States because our environment is different, our, our concerns are different. But we enjoy doing it, for the, even if it is just for the people that live in the uh, southern hemisphere. And maybe if you find yourself down here, you'll learn something uh, by watching our videos. But that, we're going to keep that as, as our main focus. And, and I'm on your website right now. You guys do a bit of consulting as well? Uh, yeah, we do some private consulting, yes. Well, that's good to know. So if there are people are in your area, maybe they can hook up with you and talk to you, talk to you guys about that. And your website, where you, most of what's there is your video content, is uh, fullspectrumsurvival.com. Yes, and our YouTube is fullspectrumsurvival, all one word. And then the project for the movie uh, can be found at theprepermovie.com or on YouTube as The Prepper Movie. And people that are interested in the movie, uh, you can follow us on Twitter as well at The Prepper Movie. So that's where that's your because you, you, you don't have it on your side, but that's going to be you guys are tweeting to that account. Yeah, uh, no. The, well, we're just leading up the production group in the Prepper Movies Twitter account, and they've given us sort of the lead aspect of prep tips, updates, uh, behind the scenes. So you got like you got multiple people tweeting to that account. What was the the Twitter account again? The Prepper Movie. The Prepper Movie. Duh. Okay. I'm just making sure because I'll make sure that there are links to all this stuff. 
in the show notes today so people can hook up with you, subscribe to your channel, etc. Um, and uh, you guys got a Facebook or anything like that? Or No, not yet. I believe the, the media management team is building one, but we, we so far don't have one. But, you know, the biggest thing for the Prepper movie for us was just to be able to give people entertainment, especially through an independent film market, and with that entertainment, give them skill sets that they can use to survive a collapse if it happens to them. Absolutely, and guys, I really appreciate you being with us here today. Uh, we thank you for having us on, and uh, we thank all of your listeners and your viewers, and uh, we, wish, we wish them all Godspeed. Well, folks, with that, I've got to you know, give you a little shout-out here. Make sure you guys get by fullspectrumsurvival.com. You can subscribe to their YouTube channel there and uh, get a better view of what they're doing, and, and that way you'll be able to look back through all these videos that they've done, and you guys are doing really great work, and it, it shows that you are really struggling to find the most complex situations to describe and, and going through them and not always getting an A++ on every scenario you set up for yourself. I think we often learn more from our failures than our successes. Agreed. Yeah, we agree. Thank you. All right, folks, with that, it's been Jack Spirico today along with Brad and Mike of Full Spectrum Survival, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Revolution. Yeah.